From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 170. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Ting, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hey, Mike. Uh, welcome back from your time away. Thank I'm you. Back. You gave a real big obituary for me last week, which was lovely. Thank you. Yeah. And people may notice Federico's not here, but Federico's not dead. It's really a, a very simple explanation that he had a shift at the Christmas tree farm and couldn't yep. get off work yep. to come join us on the show. He had to go and move some trees. Uh, Federico's yeah. Christmas trees has moved. They've moved uh, to 435 South Geneva Road. So, <laughs> man, it's a yeah. deep cut. That is a deep cut. There's some links in the show notes to explain that. <laughs> but we should move on. We should talk about follow-up. So this document is full of follow-up because you you were gone last week. And sometimes mm-hmm. what happens on this show is if someone is missing, then the next week they just talk about all the stuff that was on the show the week before because yeah. they didn't get to have their say. Mm-hmm. And this is what's happening. Uh, but first, I just wanted to quickly revisit the Spotify library and download limits. Frederick and I talked about that last week where you can have 10,000 songs in your Spotify library, but only 3,333 songs downloaded locally. And basically, we have a ton of email and tweets of people saying that they've hit this limit. Uh, We kind of talked about, like, is this theoretical? Do people really hit it? People really hit it. Uh, Tyler sent us a link to an article on The Verge back in May, where Spotify was basically said their quote to The Verge is, we don't have plans to extend your music limit. (laughs) The reason is because less than 1% of users reach it. I guess the 1% listen to Connected is the lesson I've learned. I expected that it was like some kind of weird contract thing. Maybe, yeah. Like that there's some kind of legal requirement that has been imposed upon them, which they thought was totally fine because who's going to have more than 10,000 songs on Spotify? But why would anybody ever delete any music? Like eventually a large percentage of their listener base will get there, right? Like just over time because – you're not going to remove things from your Spotify library because it doesn't take up any actual space. So, yeah, I find that strange. It's it's super strange. Mm-hmm. So we should talk about the HomePod. As mentioned on last week's show, <laughs> you were right. The The time from you predicting this to the time it came true was one week, which is extremely annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I just wasn't going to let this episode go by without me mentioning the fact that I accurately predicted the HomePods de- like delay. You did, and also I what has having listened to the episode, right? I wanted to just just point out something that you said. So mm-hmm. you played a fantastic flashback with wonderful dramatic music, which was a really just good work from you. But my favorite thing is in the flashback, I say that they're going to delay it because they've already missed the holiday season as it is anyway, so it's fine to delay it because it's too late. Releasing in December is too late for the holiday season. You said to me on that episode, the previous episode, that they still have time. You're like, oh, no, they still have time. They still have time for the holidays. Then when the flashback ends, you said that they missed the holiday season, which I thought yeah, was is, wonderful. This is just <laughs> fake news. It's fake news. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you can't want, prove any of do this. Do you want me to put in a multiple-tiered no. flashback into like no. <laughs> last week's episode, the week before? Like, how far you know, are we going to take this? The most important thing mm-hmm. about covering this sort of stuff is being mm-hmm. able to change your mind and denying when you do. So, <laughs> and pretending like it was my opinion all along. Yeah, please. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's delayed. No, there's no news on that between mm-hmm. now and then. 
Still no iMac Pro, but they got a couple weeks on that. So, so congratulations, you were right. Thank Good. you. Good job. I need to talk to you about your to do situation. Interesting. I'm upset with both of you, but I'll I'll okay. talk to you first because Federico's not here. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to address Federico right now. Okay. I can't believe he's using things because he's been so much on the API train, right? Which is like one of the reasons he left OmniFocus in the first place. And my theory, the reason he is not here this week is because he's trying to avoid these questions. But I promise you, dear listeners, I will continue to ask him these questions. I think we both will because I need to know why he's switched things. I honestly don't know. He's not told us anything. I don't know why he's doing this. Um, and I am as interested as maybe some of you are. So... Uh, that's why I assume he's not here this week because he is dodging. He's dodging the questions. Uh, There's so something fishy, mm-hmm. something fishy going on with that guy. But I need to talk to you. Interesting about remember the about remember the milk. So mm-hmm. you've switched from to doist to remember the milk, mm-hmm. and you said that like the main reason that you changed, that you switched over, was because you were fed up with to doist not having sorting right in your projects Correct. and stuff. Right. Yes. But what confused me about this was a few minutes later, you mentioned the fact that there were other adjustments that you were making, like the lack of nested lists. And That's you just big one. you yeah. just made an adjustment in Remember the Milk, and you're like, oh, it doesn't do it. I'll just change the way I do everything. And I, and I wondered why you were like just so flippantly willing to make this change for Remember the Milk. But to do this, you burned it down. I did burn to do this down. I think that the the importance of those two things is like vastly different in my mind. Like okay. It would be great to have nested lists and if remember the milk rolled it out today, I would I would utilize it. I don't love the fact that I've had to collapse some list into longer ones. Uh but the sorting by date is like the uh the just the thing in my brain that hurts every time I used to doist. Mm-hmm. And Honestly, Omni, ever since OmniFocus 2 rolled out, OmniFocus 1 on the Mac did this, and with 2, they got rid of it. It is something that just is really critical yeah. to the way that I think and work. So I, I get what you're saying, and you're right. Like, this isn't a clean trade-off. It's not like, oh, I can I get this one thing, and there's no downsides. There are a couple downsides. Uh, I have a cow in my dock looking at me all the time on my iMac. That's a downside. We're going to come but, back to that. Yeah, the branding's really bad. But mm-hmm. uh, So, yeah, so I, I totally get what you're saying. I think it's fair. But I think for me, just the difference in importance between those two things was enough to make it worthwhile. I was definitely on the same feeling of you. Like when I switched from OmniFocus to Todoist, it really frustrated me that project lists weren't sorted in date order. They're just, mm-hmm. they're sorted in like the order you added stuff is yes. kind of how it's done. And at first I thought it was going to be a big problem, but I personally just adjusted really well. And like, I don't think about it. Now I just remember that there was there is a sorter sorted by adding stuff and like I somehow keep this like mental log of when I think I may have added an item to my list. Yeah. Because I use their seven day forecast as just my way to know what's coming up. Like yeah. I don't look into individual projects like sure. that. Well that's the nice thing about all these different apps is they all do things slightly differently so you can kind of find, you know, what makes sense to you. Like the reason I don't use things and I actually uh, downloaded the Mac demo of things over the weekend because I knew Federico was playing with it and I was hoping he'd be on the show so we could talk about it. So I was like, I should get familiar with the new version. And the reason I don't like things today is the same reason I didn't like things whenever last time I used it, like six years ago, is that they, the way they handle repeating tasks is really clunky. And for someone who, I would, if I had to guess, I'd probably say like 
easily 40% of what's in my to-do system are repeating tasks just because the cycle of our business and our company. Like Mm -hmm. I do a lot of things at set times of the week or set times of the month. Uh, That's really important to me. And things is just super clunky in that regard. So it's like as beautiful as things three is and like as fast and reliable as their syncing is, uh, that is the bridge too far for things for me. So it's nice that we can find like what makes sense for you know, the individual uses that, that we need. And for, for me, web automation is a big thing. Natural language processing is a big thing. And being able to sort of list by due date. And so far, the only thing I've found that clicks all three of those is remember the milk. I want to talk about the branding. Okay. I know it's like a fun thing to make fun of, right? Like we do. And like, it's like a cow and it's like this little scribbled thing. And it's like, ha ha. But I would, I have a bit, I have like a problem with it. Like I wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to use this app because of it. Like, and I know that sounds silly, but like the branding of an application is important to me. Otherwise, and I think it's important to a lot of people because otherwise, why even bother, right? Like why, sure. why, why <laughs> go through the time and effort to brand things tastefully if it doesn't make a difference to anybody? Like we're all getting mad about Dropbox and Todoist for adding their drawings in. And that's because, yes. like, at an underlying level, they're making changes to their brand that aren't tasteful to us, right? Like, they are starting to, like, make shifts to the way that their brand is represented, which is not the brand that we signed on to, mm-hmm. right? And so I... Like, my to-do app is the most grown-up app that I use. Like, I don't want it characterized of a poorly drawn cartoon cow. <laughs> like, I just... It's, it's so weird to me, man. Like, I don't... Like, they have it, nice illustrations on their website, even, right? Like, I, I looked yeah. at some of the stuff in the app. I've seen the little um, the little carton of milk guy, which is, like, way better because it's actually the milk, right? It's not remember yes. the cow. and Well, I, the cow's where the milk comes from, Yeah, but from, is, that what I, they, is that what they're saying, though? Like, are they telling you to, to add something to your to-do list to go and milk a cow? That's not actually what that means. Like, remember the yeah. milk is, like, remember to pick up the milk at the store. But so I, I, I find it so strange. Like, they ha- clearly have designers who do great work. Like, I'm looking at their website. Their website is very nice. Their app looks very nice. Like, it's nice and clean, and it follows modern con- design conventions and stuff like that. But they hang on to this, like, old drawing. It's really confusing to me. Like, I, I really struggle to want to get my head around it. Like, they even have, like, on their website, they use an outline of the cow. Like in certain places, as if it's the app icon, right? Like a, they're they're a play, like on the they have a page called uh, upgrade, like their upgrade page, and you scroll like halfway down, and it says badges and widgets, and they have a, a picture of an outline of the cow. It's like that's fine too. Why do they use the illustration? It's so peculiar to me. Agreed. It's it's problematic. I and I really like I couldn't I wouldn't be able to use it. Like and I know it's I know it sounds so silly, but like I just wouldn't be able to. To bring myself to like, be like, okay, time to sit down and do some serious work. Let's tap <laughs> on the cartoon cow face. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's very strange. No, it's fair. It, it's, it's problematic. I wish that they would. I think people would take the app more seriously if they, if they mm-hmm. had a more serious branding. And then you're right. The website's really good. And like the rest of their stuff is, is laid out well and, and looks good and their colors are all nice and, uh, but that that icon is just not not great. So I'm fully caught up from last week. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you listened. 
uh, but I'm, I'm more glad that you're back. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom. You can start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash RelayFM. If you go there, you'll get a 14-day free trial so you can see what all the fuss is about. And when you enter the offer code CONNECTED at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Pingdom is totally focused on making the web faster and more reliable for anybody that has a website. It doesn't matter how big your website is. Stuff breaks on the internet all of the time. Pingdom detect 400,000 outages every day. And this is just with websites and companies that use Pingdom. Of course, there's way more that are not being detected by Pingdom, although every single thing should be because Pingdom is so easy to use. It's so awesome. You just give it a URL that you want to monitor and they take care of the rest. They are emulating visits to your website from their 70 global test servers, checking its availability as often as every minute. And if something goes wrong, you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix that error before the downtime affects you. You can sign up, Stephen, if I'm right, it's like SMS and email and they have push notifications in their app, right? You monitor ours for Relay FM with Pingdom. Yeah, I mean, if, if we go down, all that stuff happens. There's no, like, if I'm on my phone or my computer, I'm not going to miss it. They, they just bombard you to make sure that you know what's going on. So you can choose what ways you want to be alerted and but i think as steven has every single possible way is the best way yes. so you will definitely not miss it then you can be the first to know when your site is down that's the great thing about pingdom check it out today go to pingdom.com slash relay fm for a 14-day free trial and use the code connected at checkout to get a massive 30 percent off your first invoice our thanks to pingdom for their support of this show and relay fm all right so Let's talk about my RSI. <laughs> so you remember a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, I was upset. I was concerned that my iPhone was breaking my wrists and my hands. Yes. So I made some changes whilst taking a vacation and paid attention to some more stuff. And I actually think it was the Nintendo Switch that, that was causing me troubles more than my phone. Um, I don't think that the phone helped, but I think it was mostly down to the Switch. So... I'm making some adjustments to the way that I play, right? Less handheld switch time, more pro controller time. And that I think has made a big difference. I will say that like, I still feel some slight pain in my thumb every now and then if I'm using my phone for long periods of time, right? With the, with the new gestures. But uh, I think I'm getting more used to it. And I think that it wasn't the complete problem. Um, I think it was a bunch of different things, but the iPhone made up a smaller portion of it. Which is great news, but I <laughs> I did I did I did I made an adjustment. So I'm using the silicone case, right? Um, but I've now bought something called a pop socket. Have you ever seen these before? I have seen these before. They are um, little things that go on the back of a phone or a tablet or whatever, mm-hmm. and they sort of telescope out, so you have a place to kind of kind of rest it between your fingers. It's sort of hard. A little hard to explain. Yeah, um, a bunch of people had recommended that I try it because they'd had problems and it was helping them out. And I had seen these before. Um, mostly, like, I would see uh, women with plus phones with these on the back, right? So they'd be have, like, large phones, either large Android phones or large iPhones. And I was always like, what is this? Like, I'd only ever seen them in that context. Like, I'd seen, like, a lady grab a phone out of her bag and she was holding the phone with this weird thing on the back. And I was like, how do you like do anything with this? I just assumed it was like a solid thing, right? That like it didn't pop down. Cause what this thing mm-hmm. does, it kind of, I don't know. It, 
it's like half a centimeter flat on the phone, but then you can pull it out, like it extends out, and it gives you a place to hold the phone, like to grip it. So you don't have to put your hand all the way around the phone. You can stick it on wherever you want, and it uses that micro suction stuff. So like it's not glue, and you can change, move it around. And I have one on my iPhone now, and I really actually like it quite a lot because what it's allowing me to do is adjust my grip quite a lot which I'm very happy about. So I, I can hold it in different ways. I can hold it in different hands. And I can I feel like I'm able to kind of hold my phone in a way that's more comfortable for me. Um, and also, it's an inbuilt stand, which is kind of nice. You can just stand your phone up now and watch video on it. And I'm able to get it in and out of my pockets very easily. Like, I, it's not grabbing on anything. So I might give it. I might keep it. I'm thinking about keeping it. The only problem I have is if you thought that a uh, camera bump was bad when you put it on the desk, <laughs> my phone is unusable on a desk now because it yeah. just it rocks around like a seesaw. But I can spin it, which is nice. So my phone is now. I guess I now have a one one thousand dollar fidget spinner. So you should uh, create a spin the bottle app. Uh, in conjunction That's with this not a bad idea so i'm looking at their website and i have mm-hmm. a lot of important questions mainly yeah. what design did you go with so i went with um i don't know what the design's called monkey head galaxy is the one that i went with it's like a like a like a nebulous nebula type thing a space thing which i figure you'd like do you there see you it? You can design your own, apparently. You can. the chat room has put together one with the Relay logo on it. You can. I didn't... I wanted to just get it quick. Um, sure. Because I was just wanting to see if it would be useful in any way. But I should probably make one, right? I think so. Yeah, I think I probably will do that at some point. So, yeah, that's what I'm using right now. And I like it. I don't know if I necessarily recommend it to anybody, right? Like, I feel like you would know if you wanted something like this, like if you struggle to hold your phone. Um, I've got it more as just uh, in the same way that I use um, a trackpad and a Wacom tablet. Like, it gives me the ability to switch hands and to change the way that I hold thing things. And, yeah, this phone allows me to do that now because I don't have to use this thing and I can still hold my phone normally or mm. I can pop the little pop socket out and grab onto it I have no idea if it's going to last forever but for the time being I'm going to keep it at least until this pain completely goes away which I know can take a while yeah well I'm glad it wasn't just the phone mm. I didn't have anything else going on when mine acted up but I think it was I think there was some getting used to the phone and I think it's when you set up a new phone you're on it a lot and now that my usage has sort of settled back down, yep. uh, my hand is mostly okay. So uh, I, too, I think have avoided anything real serious with this phone. Now, at this point in the episode, everybody is wondering why we have not addressed the very important follow-up item of has Google Docs yes. got drag and drop yet? Um, and the reason is, is because it ends its run in follow-up now because it kind of does. So... Yes, Google updated their apps yesterday and have done a couple of things. One is iPhone X support, which is nice. I'm happy about that. I was actually expecting that would take a lot longer than how it Me too. than than what's happened. So they've they've added iPhone X support for sheets and docs uh, and slides. Um, I never use slides, so it's use sheet and docs. So that's what we'll be yeah, talking about. I don't even have slides installed. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> I've ever used it. Um, and they have partly implemented drag and drop so they actually 
said this in their release notes, but it wasn't completely clear, right? Like you only really noticed it once you knew what you were looking for. You can mm-hmm. drag things in to docs and sheets. You cannot drag anything out or around inside of the applications. Oh, boy. Now, my my view on this is like, this is their step one is how I look at this. Like, this is what they have been able to do. And I have no doubt that all of this is because of their like custom text rendering and all that sort of stuff. They may never do drag in, dragging out. They may only ever have dragging in. So I'll give you some examples. So with docs, you drag stuff in. Um, it doesn't keep any rich text formatting or anything like that as it had previously. It was basically, basically it's the same as copying text and pasting it in. Um, it yeah. does, which I do like. You can drag links in and it understands that they're links and turns them into just text. Uh, and in Sheets, I really like the implementation in Sheets because you can drag things into individual cells, which I'm really nice. very happy about. You don't have to like... One thing I was concerned about is that you would need to like tap the cell, make the text cursor in there, and then drag it in, but you don't need to do any of that. Like it just A little plus button shows up when you drag over any of the cells and you can drag the content in. Now, for me personally... This is all I want. Like, I never would, I very, very rarely would drag something, would need to drag something out of docs or sheets. I'm always just putting information into them. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of cool with this. Like, this is, I wanted them to just do this. They've done this. It would be great if they can add the ability to drag out and around these applications at some point in the future. But I'm super happy about this. And I wanted to address something about Google's implementation of this stuff because. I see people like talking about this, and we, you know, we talk about it a lot, right? But we're making jokes about it, etc. But I think pe- people kind of write off Google as like they will never do this, like that. I don't think I think I speak for all of us in that none of I don't think any of us believed that they would necessarily never add this stuff because the reason this has been a thing we have spoken about is because we know the trend of Google that. They will do it. It just takes them a long time. Like, that is their history. Like, they will add X feature, like split screen or whatever, but it just takes them a long time for whatever reason. So I'd always assumed that drag and drop would come to these applications, but it would just take them as long as it's taken them. Do you agree? Yeah, I don't think there's ever any doubt they're going to get around to doing something. Um, I think it's a matter of that it's just not a huge priority. And my guess is especially with this like dragging out stuff is that they very like their apps don't use very much in the way of standard controls or standard layout stuff. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that anytime something like this happens, there's a lot more work to do on their end than other apps we may see on our devices that are more closely aligned with what Apple ships in yep. the SDK. So and I'm mostly okay with it because I'm very confident that the reason that their collaboration tools are so good is because they're doing all this weird stuff under the hood, right? Like they're, whatever it is that they've built to make that happen is what makes this development slower. But I'm willing to accept that trade-off. Like people ask like, why don't you use X? Why don't you use Y instead of Google Docs? And the reason is always the collaboration is nowhere near as good. Agreed. Like, it just isn't. Like, no other application can do the real-time collaboration like Google Docs can. And you can say, mm-hmm. oh, I've used this. Trust me, we've used them all, and none of them are as good. Some of them are fine, 
but why would we want to have what like the, the most important feature of all of these tools for what we use them for is real-time collaboration if the real-time collaboration isn't rock solid it's never going to be as good no matter what else the app has and that's why we keep coming back to google docs and i agree and i agree with you too that like this implementation is super janky, but I like you because I think we use these tools very in a very similar way. I really mostly care about dragging into docs, and uh, I like you very, very rarely copy anything out of a Google Doc. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like this is isn't clearly not ideal, but for the way that you and I work, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that this is here as opposed to, the, to them waiting until they could get it going both directions. That. I will take this for now, but I do hope that they, they get it worked out in the future. Yeah, exactly. I feel exactly the same. Um, a last item of massive follow-up today, um, podcast app redesigns. So there were just there were two things that we've spoken about in the past, and I wanted to just mention the applications that I've seen that updated. So we were talking about Castro when the iPhone X came out and about the fact that they were putting a black bar at the top of the app, right? And I don't think any of us liked that. Um, because it became very apparent, I think, to most people very quickly that the embracing of the notch design was the right way to go. Well, Castro 2.5.3 is out and they are doing it. They're extending color all the way to the top. So I'm very pleased to see that Supertop like, reversed their thinking on this. Um, and, you know, I, I spoke to the guys there and they were like, we, we wanted to see, we wanted to have it the device with us so we could see how it would look before we made any changes. And I totally understand that. Um, and I'm happy that they did, right? Like that they saw it and they were like, okay, we need to change this. And they did. So they have they are embracing the notch now. Um, but also Overcast just got a true black theme, like an OLED black theme. And it is wonderful. It is. It's really good. I absolutely love it because any application that I have that has one of these now, and there aren't many, like Overcast is, of all the apps that I use frequently, it's the only app that's dark theme is black as opposed to gray, and it looks glorious on the iPhone X. Like, it looks so, so good. I'm very, very happy with it. So Yeah, yeah. it is nice, and I think we'll see more apps move from gray to black, or actually Marco kept both, and so you can pick between normal... Which is the right thing to do, because black will still look bad on the non-olive screens, right? Which is why none of these dark themes are black. Yeah, it's funny. I was scrolling through these the super top tweet, and they're they're now arguing with somebody about how they can't do a a black mode. So uh, one step forward at a time, I guess. But I think that developers should consider this it does look so nice on OLED. There's indication that it's better on battery, easier on the screen. And even though I don't love the aesthetic of dark modes, I I find myself using them now when they're available on the 10. Not necessarily on my iPad, but definitely on um uh definitely on the 10. It's a whole different thing. Like it's not like I think that a lot of people are hesitant of dark modes because they haven't liked dark modes in the past. Like, this is something else, right? Like, this is a, a very impressive thing to look at. It's not like, oh, you know, I want to just have my my phone be dark rather than white. No, this is like the pixels aren't on. It looks yeah. like everything that you're seeing, it looks like that's all it is. It's a very different look. Um, and I really hope to see more people do this because, and, and I know everybody has strong opinions about design, but if you have a dark mode in your application, you should be having one of these two because all of the people that wanted your dark mode in the first place will want this. Like, please, just add them, developers. I, I beg of you. Tweetbot, 
that's the one I want. I'm just going to say it's the one I want the most. I really hope they're going to do it because I have had um, Android Twitter clients with on Android phones with OLED screens. My gosh, it looks incredible. So I really, really hope to see a TweetBot true black. And that's what I, I, I like that name, by the way. I don't know where that came from. True black. That's a good kind of way to describe these themes. Not just dark theme. It's like a true black theme. It's like a, that's the thing. Agreed. Everyone should have one. We had a, a question from Eric. Uh, I know this was interesting. Uh, what are your current iPad Pro accessory lineups? I know Federico has changed keyboards. I think every other week, mm-hmm. it seems like, since the, since the iPad Pros came out. Um, I'm using the smart keyboard. It's always attached to my iPad. If I'm not using the keyboard, I sort of sling it around at the back. I use it very... Anytime I'm typing on the iPad, I do it with the keyboard. I have an Apple Pencil. And I don't I don't know the last time I used it. I just it's not a, a thing that has found its way into my into my working life with the iPad. What about you? Uh both iPads have smart keyboards and Apple pencils permanently attached to them. Um I attach the pencil with a Leuchtturm pen loop. It's just a, a German pen and paper company. And they make really nice loops in a bunch of different colors, and they're super easy to get, and they're, they're cheap. And it's an adhesive. You just stick it to the back of the iPad. Um, and that's how I keep an Apple Pencil attached. There is a downside of that. Like, if you keep the Apple Pencil attached to the iPad, you will need to be charging your Apple Pencil all the time because the connection yeah. remains and it drains the battery down. But I'm fine with it it's because dumb. the pencil charges so quickly. Like, I always yeah. know when I'm going to want to use it. All I need to do is just stick it in the lightning port for 15 seconds, and I'm ready for like ready to go. Right, like it's it's mm-hmm. not a problem, but yeah, there's just something to bear in mind. But I do if if you use the Apple Pencil a lot, it's only useful if it's attached, in my opinion, because otherwise you're going to be looking for it. Um, and I like this way of doing it, just to use a, a pen loop, and you can use any type type of pen loop really. But this is the one that I've used to great success for the last two and a bit years. So that's that's how I do it. That's how I run smart keyboards, Apple pencils, all the way. It's the best combo that I have found so far. None of the other keyboards for the new iPads, especially the 10.5, make me happy. So I'm sticking with the smart keyboard. Yeah, it. I just don't want to deal with Bluetooth stuff. Like it's just, I, you know, snap it around and mm-hmm. it, it works. And I think it's a case for the smart connector being really good. But we talked about this. The smart connector just hasn't taken off yet. So... Smart keyboard it is. You know, I, they should I, just rename it the keyboard connector and then just like leave yeah, it at that, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, Apple-only keyboard connector. Mm-hmm. I, I like other keyboards more. Like, I don't love the smart keyboard. Like, I'm pretty fast on it, but it's not... I prefer something more like the Magic keyboard. But, uh, again, talking about trade-offs, not dealing with Bluetooth or, like, having something that's, like, separate from the iPad, you know, and something that's not bulky then I'm I'm willing to put up with a keyboard that I don't love as much to get all those other things. My uh, hashtag keyboard opinion is that I love the smart keyboard. I think it's a great keyboard in my opinion. I like the way it feels. I like the way it types on it. Everybody's opinions vary on keyboards. That's something I've learned over the last couple of weeks. That's been a real, real situation on the Mac side of things. <laughs> Everybody has opinions <laughs> about their keyboards. And uh, I just yes. want to say that I really like my smart keyboard. And I like my yeah. Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic keyboard too. Also good. 
All right, today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Ting. Ting is a mobile phone service that wants to help you save money. They believe that you should only pay for what you use. And with prices like $10 per gigabyte of data, the average Ting customer pays just $23 a month per phone, which is a fantastic price. If you're in the US and you use a cell phone, which I'm sure probably all of you do, well, maybe not all in the US, but if you're in the US, I'm pretty sure if you're listening to the show using a cell phone, you're going to love what the folk over at Ting can do for you. Ting doesn't believe in contracts, overage fees, or unlimited plans with tons of catches. They have top-rated, no-hold customer support. When you call them, you will get through to a real person. Ting are focused on offering the best prices that they can for their customers, and any savings that they can make, they will pass on to you. You only pay for what you use. It's a simple model but nobody else does this. 80% of devices made in the last two years can come to Ting. They support both GSM and CDMA, and you can have GSM and CDMA phones on the same account with them, which I also don't think anybody else offers. Ting even allows you to get the latest iPhone as soon as it launches, along with Apple Care too. They have an agreement with Apple. They can, they are a provider. They can do this. If you're stuck in a contract, Ting will offer a 25% credit off of your early termination fee. That's up to $75 per device that you bring to Ting. To get started, go to connected.ting.com and use their handy device checker to confirm your phone can make the move. And if you're looking to upgrade, they have plenty of options available for you in their online store for you to grab a new handset. Listeners of this show can get $25 on selected devices or keep it as a Ting credit. Go to connected.ting.com and see how much you can save. We thank Ting for their support of this show. All right. All right. So it was the the wonderful tradition of Black Friday uh, very mm-hmm. recently, and then Cyber Monday. I don't know if this is a thing. I actually do think this is a thing in the U.S. because we've. I noticed it while I was there, as much as I've noticed it when I've been back at home. That Black Friday lasts for about two weeks now. Like legit. It does. Like Black Friday yeah. sales are just like a two weeks. I don't get this, um, but sure. Like it's just holiday sales period. But I also find it funny that we have Black Friday in England. It doesn't make any sense, right? We don't have the Friday after Thanksgiving. Like, that isn't a thing that exists here. But yet, this specific day is now also a sales day for us. But anyway, I made a purchase um, because I saw a good deal on a Google Home Mini. Mm -hmm. So I bought one. They're like £35 now or something. They're like 25% off. I don't know if this is a a constant thing, but I thought for £35, I'll get one of these. So I did. I got the red one. It's looking at me right now. Um, I learned as I was beginning the show today that when you mute the microphone, it tells you. It doesn't just it's do nothing so like the echo. Stupid. It goes, so st- microphone is muted. I could I should just play it for you so you can hear it. How about that? Yeah. Okay. The mic's back on. Okay. So now you know what happens when you turn it on. The mic's off. Why does it do that? Like It's, it's, it's the exact wrong thing to do. I have noticed that a lot about this device, which I will... I, you know, I'm just going to jump ahead right now. Is the, it designed by Twitter? That's like a Twitter Inc. thing. Yeah. You know, do, do exactly the wrong thing in every situation. So I compare the two, right? So I have an Echo. I'm looking at them. Yes. I have an Echo Dot here and I have a Google Home Mini right here. So like a lot mm-hmm. of what I'm going to say is comparisons between the two. But one of the key things for me is the Google Home Mini says way too much. Like, it uses too many words in basically every single instance. Like, for example, I said something which it didn't understand, right? 
And with the echo, it's like, sorry, I didn't understand. Like, it will say something like, sorry, I didn't get that. Or like, I can't process that right now. You know, like very quick things. But the Google Home Mini, it says that. It's like, sorry, I can't do that right now. But then it goes, but I'm learning all the time. Like, no, I don't. I have learned now over my time of Siri and the Echo and now with the Google Home stuff. Stop saying superfluous, cute, funny things. It yeah, doesn't it's the Siri help. Problem. It doesn't help. And Google Home, the Google Assistant does this too. It's like, Ugh. I don't need to know that you're learning all the time because you didn't do what I asked. Like, I don't care that you're learning. Like, the good thing about the Echo in this regard is if it gets something wrong, it is a smaller period of time until I can try again. Because I think, I don't know if you like this, but I guess it's like a human thing. I wait for it to finish what it's saying because that's conversation, right? Like, and this is, I guess this is just something in the back of my head Right, that's making me do this. Or like, for example, right? This is another another example. I ask it to turn on a light or turn off a light. So I say like, "Hey, ahoy, device, turn off the office lamp." And the Amazon Echo goes, "Okay," and then the lights turn off. The Google Home Mini says, "Okay, turning the office lamp off." The lamp is already off by the time you finish the sentence. Like, I don't understand the requirement for so many words. Like, it's very weird. Like, it it, it it just seems like a poor design decision. Like, I don't understand how you could... So Google Home has been around for a while. Like, they obviously compare it to other things. Like, I don't know why they feel the requirement to do this. Like, my only assumption is they believe it makes people think the assistant is more than it is, right? Like... That it is a thing that keeps talking to you as if it is the an assistant as opposed to just a dumb device which does takes your commands, but I find it very peculiar. But anyway, so I'll go back a bit. the The hardware itself is fine. I got the red one. It's got that cloth covering and it's got some little lights on it. You can change the volume by tapping on it, but as we know from previous conversations, you cannot tap on it to mute it. You have to hit the switch around the back. But honestly, I kind of prefer that. Like it's always strange to me that it would have two ways to mute it. Like I feel like that was a bad design decision anyway. So the switch on the back makes more sense to me um, than having two different ways to to mute and unmute the device. Um, all of these app, all of these services, all of these devices are controlled and configured through applications, right? So there's a Google Home app which you use to set it up. The setup was the easiest setup I've had of any smart device. I didn't have to connect it to a specific Wi-Fi network. I didn't have to like connect my phone to a Wi-Fi network that the device created. I don't know how it paired, but it did super easily. And then all I needed to do was put my Wi-Fi password in to save it to the device. And that was it. Like It was a really, really easy thing to do. And it does something by sound because the phone makes a noise. And I think yeah. that the home is listening for the noise. That is genius. Like that pairing thing was, it's the best pairing I've had of any of these types of devices. It just worked so well. Actually, the Canary did a good job too. Like when you're setting up a Canary for the first time, they give you a, uh, a 3.5 millimeter headphone cable, like an aux cable, which you plug into the device and your phone and it sends a noise to it. Right? So it's the same kind of idea. But this was even better because there wasn't even a cable for me to do. Like it just paired it and then I just put my Wi-Fi password in and it was done and then after that right like it's it's set up and I want to I want to set it up with integrations right like I want to put my hue lights on it I want to see what else is going on right 
hook up remember the milk? Yeah, of course. I feel like I'm pretty good at technology, right? I feel like I understand so. how to, to use technology. This is one of the most confusing things I have done in recent memory. <laughs> because their application doesn't explain anywhere where any of these things are. Like, the Google Home app is really tricky to understand. And their support documentation is wrong. This happened to me on two different occasions with two support documents. It was telling me to press buttons that don't exist in the app. Like, they are not there. Like, it's like, oh, press this button and press the more settings button. There is no more settings button. (laughs) Right? And I think one of the reasons for this is because I think they made the decision at some point that for you to get to any of the integrations, you have to install the Assistant app as well. I don't want to do that. But now I have to have two applications installed. So, like, I would hit the Explore tab. It's like, oh, hit the Explore tab. Then you can browse other integrations. But when I hit the Explore tab, all it would say is download the Assistant app. And you can say no thanks, and it dumps you out to the main screen again. So you go back to Explore, and it says, hey, download the Assistant app. All it will let you do is download the Google Assistant app. And then when you're in the Google Assistant app, you can find all of the integrations, and they integrate with the Assistant, therefore integrating with Google Home. Right, I, so I understand of... if this is what you want to do, but there should be one application. You should the as home stuff should live inside of the assistant app then if this is what you want to do like i don't know why i need to have these two different applications to to perform the one function that i want and then like man i thought that amazon's ui for browsing integrations and skills was bad google's is so much worse and i do not expect that from google i expect good design and it is confusing. They do a really bad job of breaking things out into categories. It's not spread out very well. It's really difficult to find anything. And like I searched for IFTTT, came up in the search results, I tapped it, and I'm taken to a broken blank page inside of the app with no way to enable Yikes. it. So then I go to IFTTT and I enable it through them. Like I'm really disappointed with this device so far. Like I'm going to keep it because. I'm interested in trying some of the things more that it can do. Like I'm thinking about getting a Chromecast because I like the idea of like being able to summon YouTube videos with my voice and stuff like that. That sounds like a fun little thing to do. And I bet it does. And I haven't really done any big tests on this, but like the Google search stuff being built in, I bet is going to be way better for getting answers to questions. But the whole setup process of this device has been has been pretty bad and is only accentuated by the fact that my experience with the Amazon Echo has been vastly superior so far, which is very surprising to me. Yeah, you you don't think about Amazon being the company in that scenario that gets it right. Mm-hmm. I, I really expected better from Google in this, and I'm sure that like if you've never used an Echo, you probably don't recognize a bunch of these things. But I think the thing that frustrates me the most is the application stuff, right? That like, why can I not enable skills for my Google Home in the Google Home app? Why do I have to download the Google Assistant? Yeah, app? that that feels a little lazy. That that they're sort of bunning out to the system they already have in in the Assistant. It's funny that you call it lazy. Like this to me speaks of design by committee. The Google Assistant team really want that app installed on people's devices. Like, yeah. that that's what I see has happened here. That they're like, oh, we, they got to download that one too. Well, it's a, it's a strategy tax, right? Yes. Yeah. It, yep. That's more important to the company than Home is ultimately, I think. Yep, it is because Assistant everywhere. And so they're willing to 
punish you for their corporate strategy. Yep, which is really annoying. But yeah, you sent yours back, right? You got the big one. I gave I gave it to my brother in law. Okay. <laughs> it sat around past the return date, and I sent it to him when he was in town a couple weeks ago. Does he like it? I actually haven't asked him about it. I don't know. I should I should ask him. I think he listens. So Wit, if you like Google Home, text me. Oh, I, I hi Wit. Uh, hey, uh, <laughs> I, it's just so interesting that. On the surface, the Echo and the Google Home are really similar products, right? That they, they do basically the same type of things. They look kind of the same way, but that they are treated so differently and set up. I just, I just find that sort of, thing, sort of thing really interesting. The other thing I find interesting is I'm on the Google Home help page at support.google.com. And I've used Google stuff. Like I had a Gmail account back when it was like invite only. Like I've been a Google user for a really long time. And I've never seen this on a page. At the top, it's choose your help center. US, UK, Canada, Australia, phone numbers, links. And at the bottom, hey, chat with a member of the Google Home help team. And I could just start chatting with them. Like, I don't know if Google realizes people are having trouble or that Google is finally, after all of these years, realizing that if you're going to have a consumer product, you have to offer support for it right that's kind of the problem with like gmail and google calendar is that it's extremely difficult to speak to somebody on the phone or over chat or over email in like a customer service role they have really good support documents but they have um they have always lacked that sort of human touch to their support yeah and it seems like with google home they're changing that maybe it's better with the pixels i haven't bought it i expect that a lot of this changed when they started making hardware like the software stuff you know you can you can mostly shake a lot of those things off um and they have been able to right for so Mm -hmm. long like you can kind of just hope that people will find it in the forums but when you're making hardware products you have to offer support yeah. and they do that Agreed. now, right? Like in a way that they never have before, like made by Google is a serious effort from them full of problems right now. But like, that's, that's a story for probably for a year in the re- year in review episode. Um, but they are trying to be a hardware company. And at that point they need to have good customer support and it looks like that they are yeah. doing a better job of it. I think they're getting there. You know, Apple, um, Apple people, like to sort of ding Google for that. And I think that's fair to a degree, but I think also, I think we have to say that they are improving. I like, guess you can't walk in a, a Google store and have your, you know, the screen on your pixel two that you broke, you know, replaced same day like you can mm-hmm. an iPhone, but mm-hmm. Google's at the very beginning of this. And I think they're at the very least moving in the right direction. Like, yeah, it kind of stinks that your user experience was kind of crummy on the home, but I bet they, I bet they improve it over time. And it seems like at the very least, if you have some sort of hardware issue with it, then, you know, you're going to be set in a whole bunch of different ways to get in touch with somebody, have them take care of it for you. And I think that's a really important thing that they've missed for a long time. And uh, it's it's encouraging to see them sort of get on the, the right track. Yep, I think so, too. I will say the voice sounds a lot better. Yeah, it does. The voice, the voice technology that Google has, understandably, is vastly superior to what um, Amazon has. I think it's best on the market. I, it's, I think it's it's better than Siri. I think it's better than anything I've heard. And I also, I haven't done any extensive tests with this yet, but like it's got the whole like and it talks about it in the setup process, like the training 
of the voice patterns and how yes. it remembers who you are and stuff like that. And like I believe that like Siri has this and I believe that like Amazon have this to a point, but it seems pretty hidden. Like Google is very bullish about it. Like they, they call it out as like a feature when everybody else like mm-hmm. uses it as a way to avoid problems. But they're like, Nope, we'll be able to detect you and be able to say who you are and work out who you are and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. My time is not done with this device. I'm not rage putting it back in a box and sending it off. Like a lot of my frustrations I believe are coming because I am used to something different. Um but I expect that there are many more things that I will come into contact with with the device that are better. Like and so I'm I'm keen to see how it goes. Like for example, right? The assistant app, like if I got into that, I can see that being really good. Like me being able to ask to do this by text stuff and rather you know, like to be able to use the integrations rather than just voice, you can also send it queries. Like that is really interesting and I'm keen to play around with more of that. There are good things here. And I bet like people that are in the Google ecosystem, I bet this device is fantastic, right? Because oh, yeah. you can have it send stuff to your phone and stuff like that. And I wonder if, I mean, I, again, I haven't tried. I will play around with some more. It should do this if it doesn't. It should be able to send stuff to the Assistant app for me, right? Like if I need directions and stuff as a way to get through to my iPhone. But like to be able to have that kind of deep hook in is really interesting and is what I hope Apple will be able to do, right? With the HomePod. Like I really hope yeah. that there is that maybe some of the story, maybe some of the reason that it's delayed is that they want to add more. They want to do more with it. That's my hope. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. But I think down the line, Apple will have a device, if it's not the HomePod, that will be better at doing some of this stuff. Um, but Google is very far ahead with that. Like The way that it integrates all these products into their ecosystem, they are the, they are the leader in this right now because they have the Google Assistant and it's everywhere on, on everything. And that's really interesting. Like, you know, like the their computers, the Pixelbook has a button, right? And you can talk to it or you can write to mm-hmm. it. Like it's it's really interesting in a way that Siri isn't because Siri is still like these instances as opposed to this one cohesive net, which it seems like Google is casting across its products, where like you can talk to Siri, but you are talking to Siri on this device like it is this one siri is how it feels right because as well like it the things it can do differ on all of these different devices where it feels to me like the assistant the google assistant is way more cohesive across its product line so yeah and and that's something that google and apple have over amazon you know i think the echo at least in Mindshare, is probably the the most popular sort of home assistant device, if not in sheer numbers. But they struggle to integrate with things like your calendar mm-hmm. or your contacts or your reminders because they don't, like no one uses Amazon services for that other stuff yep. or, or Amazon doesn't offer services in those realms. But if you have a Google Home and you use Google Calendar, even if you're on an iPhone, that gets you linked up. And if you have an Android phone, maybe you can even do more and, you know, HomePod and iCloud. And that's really where you get the benefit of being all in one ecosystem. And I've thought a lot about this because I use Gmail and I use Google Contacts and I use Google Calendars on an iPhone and a Mac. And I do that for a bunch of really specific reasons that aren't really important for this conversation. But, you know, I, so far I haven't feel like I've I've lost out on any cool integration stuff because, 
the Google stuff is so well supported in iOS, but if we were to get the HomePod and for some reason it were really to click in our household, you know, would I be tempted to move some stuff back into iCloud so I could maybe have it there too? Like that's like these companies are playing chess with all these different pieces of our data and they want us and it's beneficial to customers to be all in on one. And I think ultimately that's probably going to hurt Amazon in the long run unless they really, you know, strike some deal with Google to like ha- have like full blown like access to a Google account. And Apple's never mm-hmm. going to do that with iCloud, so they're always going to be behind there. And I, I, looking out, you know, several years down the road, I just wonder how that'll play out uh, once sort of these these devices really become more mature and the services that hold them all together become more powerful. My expectation is Amazon knows this fate, which is why they are making so many of these things, right? Like, yeah. they're, they're, you know, in the next two years, there'll be an echo for everything. And I think that's the point, right? They're trying to make an ecosystem which is just this because they can't plug into anything else. And I think mm-hmm. they're very aware of that. That's their Achilles heel in this, right? There is no phone. That's the problem. And there's never going to be. Yeah. Right, like they're they're never gonna they can't do this now. They failed too many times. The phone thing is gone for them, so they're trying to just build the home stuff and make their home stuff super strong in the hope that you will just use the home stuff, right? And you'll be good with that because they're not going to be able to build the entire ecosystem. Which I mean, if they can do it though, it's great for them because all this is for is to sell more stuff, right? That's the Mm -hmm. plan sell more stuff and integrate with their winning services like Prime, right? And Prime Video. That's that's what all this is for. And as long as they can keep building compelling products and they're going to keep people in that ecosystem, but it might not be the overall piece, which they obviously wanted, but they weren't able to achieve. And I don't, and yeah. I think they're too far behind now. Agreed. All right. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Encapsula. They will help you delight visitors to your site whilst also frustrating those nasty attackers because of their bulletproof security options and fast content delivery network. Right now, somewhere in the world, a website is being attacked by some giant botnet that is scraping their content, trying to smash into databases and ultimately bring the site down. All of this stuff is very scary. No one wants to think about these things. And that's why you should use Encapsula, because they work super hard to protect websites of all sizes with a network that can process 30 billion attacks per second. That's a lot of attacks. I think you're pretty set. They are super good at what they do. This is why Encapsula have successfully defended some of the largest website attacks on record. And if something bad happened to you, your visitors are never going to know because their content delivery network is so fast, people can continue browsing your site even if they are having to work hard to protect it against something nasty. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free with Encapsula. Just go to Encapsula.com slash connected. That is I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash connected. Check it out right now to find out more about what Encapsula can do for you and claim that free month. Give Encapsula a try. You're not going to regret it. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show. I'm really FM. I do not understand this topic heading because it says <laughs> trying Windows again. This is a very all over the place episode. Um, I is. am now uh, an Android user and Stephen is a Windows user. Federico should never leave. So there's been a lot of conversation about the state of Apple hardware, which we do not need to retread this week. We do not need to retread it. Um, But something that comes out of these debates sometimes is, you know, if Apple doesn't fix the MacBook Pro, I'll just buy a Surface Book. 
or if there's not a Mac Pro that meets my needs, I'll just build a PC to edit video on. Uh, there's one couple comments this weekend about you know Windows is <laughs> receiving active development and the Mac OS is dead, uh, which I can't disagree with more strongly. But all of that has sort of been like running around in my head as we've had these conversations about Mac hardware. And, you know, I've got a background as a Windows user. I was actually like a Windows admin at a job for like four years in like Windows Vista in seven days. And so I'm familiar with it, but I don't run it day to day. I haven't run it day to day since like 2012, 2013. And I thought that it would be interesting just to kind of see, like, okay, I haven't really spent time with Windows 10. Uh, what of my existing workflow without changing anything could I just pick up and put on Windows? Say that the Mac went away today and I had to use Windows. What would what would my what would my options be? Right. So to kind of taking the iPad out of the equation for a little bit. Um I know that's a little unfair, but this is the thought experiment I sort of came up with. Um so after like arguing with boot camp for like an hour and a half on my MacBook Pro and maybe like breaking my boot volume temporarily, I end up just having windows 10 install into vmware fusion so I have a virtual machine um so i'm still running mac os but I have windows full screen and it, it's interesting cause i haven't really spent time with windows 10 it's still very much windows like if you've used windows in the last decade right you're not going to get 10, lost no um you know people say like the mac os um interface is kind of stagnant well i think I mean, Windows 10, like, they keep rearranging the start menu, but past that, it's still Windows. Yeah, they tried, right? But obviously, yeah. It did not go well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now it's an option if you want the Windows 8 style, uh, like, full screen, uh, full screen deal. What I was really surprised by, and this is a benefit of the pay for a service and get the apps sort of ecosystem we live in now, that most of my major apps are fine on Windows. So Slack... One password, we pay for one password for Teams at Relay, so I could log into my Relay account online and download one password for Windows for free. Dropbox, of course, Chrome. I pay for Text Expander, their syncing service. They have a Windows app oh, yeah, that you get Windows if you pay now. for the syncing service. Mm-hmm. Text Expander on Windows blew my mind. All that stuff installed fine. I could configure it fine. You know, They're sort of like the core Mac apps. Um, Windows has like the Mac mail contacts calendar apps. They work okay with Gmail stuff. Uh, the calendar app had this funny bug where it was showing me everything, every event I've ever declined, and I could not figure out how to turn it off. Uh, so that's that's annoying, but I'm it's sure so, it's setting it, somewhere. Sometimes you need regret in your calendar. It's, it was full of regret. Uh-huh. Uh, full of regret. I do have some iCloud-only stuff, like notes and photos I uh, have just in iCloud. <laughs> An Apple solution is use the browser. Um you can install iCloud for Windows. It's this control panel and it syncs some stuff. I did not touch that thing. That's not good. Um, uh, so if I wanted notes, you know, got to use a browser. There's no great Markdown editors. There are a few decent options. There's obviously no Logic or Final Cut, but if you use the Adobe apps, they're basically the same. So if I were to use Audition and Premiere instead of Logic and Final Cut, then I could move over. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from is like high end users of like, hey, you know, I'm I'm using the Adobe apps and they work on Windows basically the same way. So why not build a PC with like a crazy GPU and just go to town? Um, that's a that's a perfectly valid like move if that's what you need to do. Um, so I kind of walked. I'm still doing it. I actually did most of my work 
yesterday in this Windows VM, like did my relay administration stuff, did some writing, prepared for the show, um, as much of it as possible in Windows. And the short answer is I could do it. The longer answer is I have no intention on doing it. The yeah, want to do it? Just be no, no. Just because the apps are there doesn't mean I enjoy using the operating system, right? It's it's still Windows. It's still fragile in the way that Windows is fragile. All right, let me ask you about so, that though. What's wrong with mm-hmm. it? What's wrong with Windows? Yeah, it's gross. Windows Why? is gross, man. Why? It. I'm gonna sound like one of those people that people quote when they hate Apple fans. Um, I just the Mac is much more comfortable and more cohesively thought out than than Windows is. I think. I think Windows is still suffering for, from the uh, Windows 8 tried to redo everything, and Windows 10 is sort of like Windows 7 plus Windows 8, and it's better than it used to be. But there are still times where it's sort of confusing, like where things are or how things work. And I, I will admit that I'm new to this, and so I'm sure this gets better with time. But I think Windows just doesn't feel as polished to me and doesn't feel as as thoughtfully considered as as the Mac does. Um, now, you know, I, I'm going into this with all the biases I have of being a longtime Mac user. So, like, I, you know, this is not an objective test by any stretch of the imagination. But... It just doesn't. It doesn't feel like an OS that I, um, that I want to use, and, and it's still weirdness, right? So I installed 64-bit Windows 10, and so it's like, oh, I'll ins- I'll install the 64-bit version of Slack, and that version just wouldn't install. It gave me like DLL errors on a brand new Windows install, and I was like, well, that's weird. So I downloaded the 32-bit version of Slack, and it installs fine. I don't know if that's Slack's problem or Microsoft's problem. Either way, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be my problem. Yeah, but like that might not be Windows, though, right? Like you are running Windows in a weird way. No, uh, Windows. Microsoft completely supports Windows in virtualization, one hundred percent. Okay. And, uh, and you know, there's still like that sort of weirdness, right? Like a user should never need to know if they're running a 32 or 64 bit version of the OS or if the individual app they're using is 32 or 64 bit. That is right? weird like, that it gives you a choice that like that people give yeah. you a choice. Like, so, uh, so when I bought when, so when I bought my windows 10 license, you can, you get to pick which one you download. It's like no one, like in 2017, 2018, yeah. no one should do this. Right. And, and so the Mac takes care of all that for you. The, the OS has been 64 bit for a long time. 32 bit apps run basically you know, invisibly, like it, they just work. Now that's getting ready to change because 32-bit apps are going to go away. Uh, and I think they've said the version after the next one, but it, like they've said decision-making, right? Like if, I, if I'm just a normal consumer, like I don't know which one to download, right? Like it, 32, I guess, or 64. And there, yeah, there's... I would have to sit and think for us just a second, right? Like it'd be like, mm, I'm yeah. getting the right, like I would just have to pause for just a second and just have to think about that. Yeah, it's just, it's just it, that's not a... That's not a huge deal, right? But it's sort of that's what I'm sort of getting at. Like you see all these weird edges mm-hmm. and windows okay. that I don't think most users it are is prepared like for. Endemic of the overall experience, right? Like there are these mm-hmm. weird things you have to think about, which come typically from legacy, right? Which is yeah. I think accepted to be their biggest Achilles heel is the support that they have to give to legacy clients, like which is why their redesign failed, right? They had a mm-hmm. they had a really interesting redesign, right? Which was Windows eight. It failed because nobody wanted to to get rid of what they knew, so they had to yeah. they had to go back. 
yeah, you know, people, um, you can complain about Apple supporting old stuff too long or not long enough, but on the Microsoft side of things, like that is a real, real big issue. And it's because they have so many huge, like huge client bases and like the enterprise that, you know, they wrote an app 10 years ago or 15 years ago, and they still demand that it work just the way it did. And Microsoft historically has given into that. And they I think no that's choice. slowly it's changing. Business. Like they, they can't, they have yeah. to, they have to do that. Yeah. I think they're slowly moving along, right? Like they're, they're, they're replacing internet Explorer with edge and edge mm-hmm. doesn't do a bunch of the old weird stuff. IE did. Cause IE was kind of like its own operating system really at, at, at a point. So I think they're slowly changing that, but I don't know. I just, I found it interesting that in my, in my mind, I thought I'm gonna have to give up all the tools I use every day. In reality, I had to give up very few of them. And I'm sure that if I spend some more time on this, I can find a Markdown editor that really fits the way that I fit. I can find an RSS reader that I like. I can find you know, the, the handful of other things that are missing. Like I, I, could, I could recreate my workflows for the most part, I think, on Windows. And that honestly was a little surprising to me. Uh, I didn't think that – I thought that would be more of a struggle. And I think that's where the pay for a service and get the apps, that, that mindset, I just, I'm not used to yet. Um, but it definitely like reinforced to me that like, I'd much prefer Mac OS over windows, but, um, I don't know. So like the idea of like, well, I don't like the next MacBook, so I'm going to buy a surface book. Like that's fine. You can probably still get your work done. Uh, but it's just not a decision that I want to make. It's interesting. It is interesting when you look at the way that services do change a lot of this stuff, like, Mm-hmm. You could probably do all of this same stuff with a Chromebook. You would. I could do a lot of it. You probably um, have a very similar experience of a Chromebook. I would expect. Like in that list, what could you not do? Uh, well, any editing, you know, production work for the shows. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, like you can do Slack and Chrome. You can use actually now One Password Ten or X. I don't know how they're saying it. Um, Dropbox is there, of course. So. I mean, a Chromebook may be another step down the road, but, you know, it's it's doable. I could do all this stuff on an iPad as well, except, well, I could even do editing on the iPad if I wanted to to really change the tools that I use. So I think consumers and even, like, professionals like, like us, like, we do have options. Um, and I think I think it's wise to know, like, every once in a while, just sort of put your toe in the water and see, you know, what else is out there? Are there better ways I could do this? Do I have an escape route if I need one from this platform? Um, but I don't think I need an escape route at this point. Like I don't, I don't think the Mac's going anywhere. I'm not worried about it in like an existential way. No, um, I don't think people so, are necessarily yeah. like writ large worried that the Mac is going I don't away. Think so. I think it's nerd angst on Twitter. I, I think people are more concerned that the Mac is going to go ways that they they don't want it to go, which is a valid... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same concern, but it's coming from a different kind of thought process, which is important. Like, that is an important thing to realize, right? Like, and to think about, like, is your computer go like focusing on things that aren't important for you? And then you might want to switch. But like, I don't think we're at risk of it going away, right? Like, I don't think that's a thing. But it's mm-hmm. worth noting, if you don't like Apple's current crop of computers, then you're kind of out of luck, I guess, right? Like, 
what are you going to do? Right. But that's that's the concern, right? That's the that's right. the worry with Apple is that they have, and this is why people get so frustrated and upset right. about this. I heard, I again, I don't know what podcast I heard this on recently, but I heard it on a podcast that I listened to, which is like this is all you have, right? Like if this is what you like, this is all you have. Yeah. And so you're Jason's kind of talked about that some, um, you know. Uh, that Apple has a monopoly on Mac OS. Mm-hmm. But I think Ben Thompson is the first first person I saw write that phrase. But mm-hmm. you, you know, if if I want to run Mac OS, I've got to use one of their hardware products. So like I have an iMac and now I have a older MacBook Pro and that that works for me for now and you know, we'll see what happens in the future, but again, like we keep going back to trade-offs in this episode. So there's a theme, Mike, it's not just scattershot. Trade-offs is the theme. Uh, the trade-offs for me, uh, I will take a lot of abuse so I can keep using Mac OS. Like, mm. I, I'll, I'll put up with a lot. And I have chosen to use an older MacBook Pro like Marco because that trade-off is still okay because the machine is still f- plenty fast enough for what I need. But three years from now, it won't be. And if three years from now, the MacBook Pro still has a kind of cruddy keyboard and a touch bar, then, uh, you know, I'll... I'll move back to it because that'll be that'll be a trade-off I'm willing to make so I can keep my workflows on Mac OS intact because that's for me the software is is more important than the hardware in in the way that I work and uh, the hardware I just need to be fast and reliable and you know I don't want to I, I'm sure I'm sure like if I if I turned off my iMac and I just use this Windows machine for a week I'm sure that I would find over the course of the week, more and more little things that I don't even realize I do on the Mac, but are just part of my like muscle memory or part yeah. of like just the workflow sure. that I use every day. Right. And you got to rebuild them on windows or find a different way to do them. And, uh, all that sort of like institutional knowledge I have in my head about the way my Macs work. I don't want to give up. Yeah. I just think that you and Marco are playing a very risky game. Maybe. Because we'll be disappointed in a couple of years. You know, like the the game that you're playing is like predicated on the notion that it's gonna get better again in the way that you want it to. Oh yeah, it, it may not. And that's that's a risk to play because it, it may never change. And then what do you do? Right? Like you went back, <laughs> you spent. You spent less time trying to get accustomed, right? Like it's why I don't know. I, I for as much as I can, I try and do what I try and go along with what's happening, because I figure otherwise. What 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 are my options? Like your options end at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that you two of you are playing a playing a dangerous game right now with we're, your we're old put, computers. They're playing a little game of chicken with Johnny Ive. You are, but... and I think you'll. I think you may lose. But I hope I think so. I mean, yeah, like I, I promise I was going to talk about this. I, I don't think the 2015 MacBook Pro is going to rise from the dead as the 2018 MacBook Pro. Like that's silly. Um, I think the a lot of stuff he wrote in his blog post is just like it's wishful thinking. Like it'd be great, and I agreed with his blog post 100 percent about how Apple could fix the MacBook Pro. But in reality, we're going to get maybe a more reliable keyboard, and that's it. And that honestly would be enough for me like i was fine until they tried to charge me 450 bucks for a broken key yeah that but, was um, the straw that broke the keyboards back i guess like that was uh, <laughs> that was the end of that right and i agree i agree with you completely on that right like 
my feeling about the keyboard is like whatever. I didn't like it, but got used to it. Right, like the way it was. Like sure. my initial feeling was, I don't like this, and it's probably just because it was very different. But after using the the MacBook Pro for like the two weeks that I only had that one machine. I completely yeah. forgot that the keyboard was different. Like I completely forgot. Yeah. And mine isn't even about the keyboard being different. It's that it's It is the unreliability, which is what I completely agree with you on. That like if this if this machine is significantly less reliable, they have to fix that. If they fix that, then they've done their job and that's kind of all they have all they have to do. The rest of it would yeah. just be like, you know, people would prefer things to be a certain way. Sure. Which I think is fine, right? Like you, like I, I just spent a big chunk of the episode complaining about the Google Home, right? Like it doesn't work the way I want it to work. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Like they just make decisions that I disagree with. Um, but if they have, like, okay, so like they had some fatal flaws with this product, which I think they've mostly addressed. But like those things, they had to fix them. Like things being broken mm-hmm. about it have to be fixed. But <laughs> if you don't like a design decision. Like that sometimes is as far as it goes. And that's just kind of why I'm worried for the two of you. Um, because you're making very bold decisions about your computers that may end up just biting you in the butt later on. They may. And uh and I, I don't want to speak for Marco, but for me at least, there there is an element to this that uh is understanding that it's a short it's a short term game, right? That like I have all the, the dongles and adapters and I got gotten used to that and honestly that's it's kind of a pain, but it's not the end of the world. Um but for someone who uses that machine as a secondary machine, I really just want it to be to work reliably. And that's really what did it for me. And the other stuff like you said is just gravy, right? Like I'd love an SD card slot. Like Apple, please put an SD card slot on the next MacBook Pro. Uh, but they're not gonna put a USB A port back on it. Like that's that's just not a thing that's going to happen. They're not gonna Unless they do something radically different with the chipset, you're not going to see six USB-C Thunderbolt 3 ports on it. Like The machine is what it is, and it it will evolve over time, but I feel like the direction that's going to evolve is further away from my 2015 MacBook Pro than back toward it. Um, But if they make the keyboard, it can still be... I actually love the way it sounds, and I got used to the way it types, but just make it a little more robust, unlike it is now and then we can talk again and i think i think we'll get that but but yeah it's it's that's true in all of this stuff right like if it's about one generation of macbook pro over the other or if it's a you know uh we've been we talked on um connected and on query actually about uh apple sort of like forcing software updates on people and i got a ton of email from people like i'm running ios 10 because this app that i you know depend on for whatever is not supported anymore and if i update to 11 it's going to go away and there are always people who are caught on the wrong side of a transition or caught uh, by transition early right like they're not quite ready to make the move yet and what's weird for me is that i'm usually not on that side of things right like i run beta os's i you know i I have an iMac now that's a 2015. I'm super interested in picking up an iMac Pro early next year. Like, I like the new and shiny. I pre-ordered an iPhone 10 at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, but for some reason, you know, with this laptop, I'm on the other side. But the same thing goes for software, right? Like, I we all choose the tools that we 
that we feel efficient and comfortable with, and we don't necessarily want to change those radically. And sometimes that's forced upon us, but at least in like the desktop world, like Mac OS Sierra to high Sierra, like not a ton of huge changes, right? And you can sort of move up and your stuff's going to be fine. And we don't see those big transformations anymore with desktop software. And so when people look into the future about the Mac and they don't like what they see, or they think it's a dead platform or they think that Apple's ignoring it or whatever, whether those criticisms are founded in reality or not, or whether they become true or not, I, I don't know. But the undercurrent of all of that is you you sometimes have to make a decision to to move forward with the tide or to you know move somewhere else. And people fall all across that spectrum. And we, we're seeing it right now with the MacBook Pro. Uh, you know, we, we, we saw it. Uh, when Apple moved from OS 9 to OS 10, we saw it when they moved to Intel. If they ever moved to ARM Max, we'll see it again. You know, there there are always these these points in which people have to decide to move forward or not. And uh, for me, I am 100% excited and and willing to keep riding the Mac OS train as long as it will take me. Um, but you know, we may be in a position like I'm not I'm not naive uh you know we could be in a situation michael we're on the show in 10 years you know i'll be 65 then but i think i could still do the show and we're having this conversation about mac os itself right of like steven you're playing a dangerous game like you got to get off this thing right like <laughs> the 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 last station is in view the train is stopping um but i don't think that's anytime soon and so for now you know um i'm willing to keep rolling on it I think that the this this experiment with Windows is pretty akin to your current situation with the MacBook Pro. Like I think that there are some parallels to it. Like will this thing work for me? We'll see. Right? Like it's kind of I feel like it's, there's a very similar thread there. Um but I'm ple- I'm pleased that you undertook this experiment. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean I think if we're going to talk about it like you and I both own Android phones. You bought the Google Home. Like, we don't have to switch to things, but I think at the very least, like, it's it's prudent to at least be familiar with it, right? So if that's all that comes out of this is like, hey, you know what? I spent some time with Windows 10. I know it a little bit. Uh, I installed a bunch of stuff and used it. Then I can speak more intelligently about it, and it informs my opinions in a way that it wouldn't otherwise. And so for that alone, I think exper- experimentation as a nerd, especially as someone who like talks about this stuff, is is really valuable. If you want to find our show notes today, go to relay.fm slash connected slash 170. Stephen is at 512pixels.net. He is at ISMH on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and our fallen comrade is at Viticci, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. He's at maxstories.net. And hopefully he'll be back next week. Um, thanks so much to our sponsors this week, the fine folk at Pingdom, Ting, and Encapsula. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Stephen. Adios.